Hello and welcome to the November edition of the Cinetopia radio show and podcast. It's been another interesting month in the world of cinema and we're here to discuss some upcoming and recent releases. My name is Jim Ross and I'm managing editor of Take One magazine as well as co-producer of the show. My co-producer and regular host Amanda can't be with us due to some pretty horrendous computer difficulties she's having. Um, But I am joined by the same team from last month. So we've got Elle Haywood. Associate Editor of Take One and Freelance Critic. How are you doing, Elle? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Very well, very well. Uh, we'll get into it in a bit. I think I've been doing my usual thing of trying to watch too many films uh, and basically not getting to all the ones that I want to. But the ones that we've seen are all pretty interesting, so we'll have a bit of a discussion about them. Uh, we've also got, returning from last month, Steph Brown, uh, freelance writer and another contributor to Take One. How are you doing, Steph? I'm great, thank you, Jim. Great, great. So the three of us will be reviewing three films today. Um, so we've got uh, the latest from Swedish master Roy Anderson, his latest film about endlessness we'll be looking at. I saw it back at the Glasgow Film Festival all the way back in February, which feels about 100 years ago by now. But that is out now, so we'll be taking a look at that. We've then got Thomas Vinterberg and Mads Mikkelsen joining forces again for another round. And the last film that we'll be looking at is Viggo Mortensen's directorial debut. Um, so he takes two behind the camera, as well starring in his directorial debut, Falling, uh, which was playing at the Amplify Film Festival. And I'll also be talking to Basim Tarek, whose film Mogul Mowgli we reviewed on the last show. I had the opportunity to interview him during the London Film Festival. So we'll be running that interview just to get a bit of a sense of the film uh, which is out on vod right now um there's a few things happening on the cinetopia front in the coming weeks and months uh the first thing to note is there's the regular networking night next tuesday which will be done online i think uh, but keep an eye out on the socials for that it's always a good get together opportunity to meet and potentially find future collaborators on your next project and so on and so forth so that will be happening on the 24th a week from today if you're listening to the hfm broadcast but that's the 24th of november the other thing that's happening is the shortcom film festival is doing some collaborations with cinetopia so there'll be a few q a's uh, with directors for that festival and also some master classes going on which Cinetopia will be collaborating on. So I don't know the exact dates for that. I don't think we know the exact dates for some of those Q&As, but keep an eye out on the socials for that. Um, They will be coming up soon. And, of course, we'll put some information in the details of this podcast so you can go and check them out. So last month, uh, we were all on this show. Uh, It's the same team again, apart from the the unfortunate Amanda absence because of her computer and some of us had been to the cinema i'm guessing based on where we're all based we've not been to the cinema since then because i think me and steph are both in tier three here in scotland and l you're going to be back in you're back in national lockdown presumably oh yeah we're back to back to kind of phone lockdown so um just because of the film school am i actually getting to watch kind of new stuff really but yeah i'm i'm quite sad i kind of got to a place i was ready to get back into the cinemas and then yeah. lockdown yeah. back in 
Yeah, so. it was. That's the exact situation I was in. It was like for the last show we went to. I, I went to finally see a film for about the first time in eight months, and then they all get shut down again. How are you, Steph? How are you getting on with it? Because I know you you'd been to the cinema a lot more than I had. I think. Um. Yeah, I was going for quite a bit before we got into tier three, but th- I think the the only kind of cinematic connection I've had just now is for the screeners that I've been doing, and um, all the. <laughs> all the free trials I've been doing on Amazon Prime makes me feel a little bit like I'm in the cinema, but it's it's not been quite the same. Especially I think before we had quite a, quite a good year for all the new releases in cinema, so it's been quite disappointing because I I think there was a few things that everyone was sort of looking forward to that have been postponed or are going to come straight to to um, streaming sites or um, to DVD and things like that. So um, yeah, it's it's disappointing, but what can you do at the end of the day i suppose yeah it, it just seems to shift to a different film i think when we we're on the last the last time it was bond shifting from that the, the new november date it had now it's basically all the talk about wonder woman 1984 i think you know if that's gonna it seems a bit bizarre that a film of that kind of scale would go to hbo max which of course we don't have in britain either i don't think yet so <laughs> also if it, if it does go to hbo max we should we sure aren't getting it in britain so it's a it's a bit depressing um so yeah it's unfortunate i mean we'll see we'll see how it goes i mean one of the i think it's also the loss of events that you can build communities around as well is also a bit sad um like i've been a bit sad to see the upheaval it's caused edinburgh short film festival which to be honest with you without that film festival i wouldn't be doing this podcast because obviously like amanda co-founder of cinetopia i met her through uh, the community is built up around Edinburgh Short Film Festival and Paul Bruce and what he's done there, and they've had to can their in-person screenings really at quite short notice because of the whole tier three thing. Um, so it's still going to go ahead in person, but at the moment they just don't know when because um, until Edinburgh comes out of tier three and you can reopen those um, venues, it's just not going to it's just not going to go ahead. So it's a little bit sad in that regard, and certainly you know a lot of the cinemas in England uh, I think got blindsided a little bit by the new national lockdown so you know we'll see how it goes i mean i, I still remain hopeful but yeah we'll see it's a, it's a very tough time for a lot of people in a lot of people in film i think around about this time october november time um i go to see that all night horror madness at the cameo and i have been yeah. going since i was about 19 this is the first first time in about five years that it's not going to be going ahead and it's so um, it's so heartbreaking it's something that me and my friends all kind of get together and do and it's a lot of fun so things like that and especially with that being shot just now is quite disappointing it's probably what my favorite cinema in edinburgh so i do hope it recovers in some way but you know, with what's happened with cinema world and things you can't help but be a little bit pessimistic about it all i was um yeah it's i think that point about community is super important i mean pretty much same with um cambridge kind of luckily pivoting to an online kind of version way ahead because i think they anticipated it stretching on a bit longer but i it's a festival i would have normally attended and what also got me into doing take one and then yeah onto cinetopia as well so Obviously, Cambridge have teamed up with, um, I'm going to get this right, Bath, Brighton and Cornwall Film Festival with Cambridge to make up Amplify, which is running for the next two weeks. So it's it was an ambitious, I think, choice to kind of pivot to online. But it's great that as lockdown has hit, there's still been access to a lot of new films at quite affordable prices as well. So it's nice to see that 
like kind of regional cinemas banding together to kind of bring about new films to people still yeah no it, it's good to see um another film festival which i'd run about the time to go out i think it'll be in the middle of it i think it'll have started by then is also the catlan film festival here in well, I say here in Edinburgh, actually, but I mean, they kind of, they've, before COVID hit, they've expanded to a lot of other uh, cities in Scotland run by Cinematic. And, you know, they've got a great looking programme. And I think, like, the the feature pass is, like, £10 for the festival or something. Like, it's, it's good to see that stuff happening, because that, that was my only, um, my only slight gripe at the start. A lot of these premium VOD prices were, you know, even before your Mulan's at, like, you know, 25 quid or whatever the hell it was. Even before they came along, it was a little bit on the pricey side. Like, I mean, I was a bit privileged in the respect that I was getting screeners for a lot of these things, so I think I was a bit insulated from it. But realistically, if you want to catch a lot of this stuff, it was it was too expensive. I mean, especially when in the context of, like, not everybody has some, you know, casting device that they can use to, like, put it on a massive TV, which they own or something you know a lot of people were having to watch this stuff on ipads and laptop screens or something it's not really an experience you want to pay like 20 quid for 15 quid for i don't think it was great so it's good to see these festivals um you know having an opportunity to offer these things at a slightly slightly better price point and online passes and stuff i think it's a temporary thing but you know it's good to see it. I, I, i'm as pessimistic as we've been about kind of the situation in a lot of uh cinemas and you know the film industry at large and there's a lot of difficulties i think it's it speaks to the skills of the, everybody involved that you know a lot of these places have managed to pivot to this sort of thing really pretty quickly and effectively um so that's kind of impressive Okay, so the first film we're going to look at is About Endlessness, the latest film from Roy Anderson, who's uh, done a lot of very iconic work, I suppose, over the past few decades, and has a very distinctive style, which I understand Elle has actually been kind of immersed in for a little bit as part of her coursework in the past week or so. Uh, So we're going to look at his latest release, About Endlessness. Um, Elle, why don't you tell us a little bit about the film? So About Endlessness is stylistically similar to previous work, including um, a pigeon sat on a branch contemplating its existence. A pigeon sat on a branch. Oh, what the hell is it? I had it. I had it. And I forgot it now. It was a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. That's it. That's the one. That's the one. Yep. And uh, You the Living. Um, So it's very similar to that in terms of it's an exploration or a commentary on human interaction with each other, contemplating existentialism and kind of the happiness and the complete horror of humanity. This one is, I'd say, leans more into social realism in terms of the fact that it's his films capture mundane moments. These ones, it's exactly the same. There's moments of people getting drilled in a doctor's office, sat watching the snow in a cafe, um, kids kind of studying. It's all very normal, but this one very much lacks any satire. If you've ever seen an Anderson before, you will start off wondering, what on earth am I watching? You'll laugh at unexpected points and then be shocked by others. But in this one, it's much more 
on the nose metaphors, I'd say. And it's quite sobering. Um, I mean, he's he's so invested on a kind of having a commentary on the world and every scene is meticulously done. It's every scene takes about a month of a set build up, which is very incredible. The fact it's all shot in a studio pretty much because you his color palette is very bland. It's lots of greys and greens and especially in about endlessness. It's much bleaker, there's lots of smoke, there's lots of clouds. It's a kind of almost like a goodbye. The commentary is a girl kind of saying, I saw or I heard or I viewed. It's past tense and it kind of feels like a final wrapping up on his stories. I mean, he's said to have been like very much influenced by Goya and kind of, it's not as brutal, I would say. I think the other films are much more visually kind of, it can be nice, it can be kind of a bit odd or funny and then go a bit horrific. This one is just more kind of, yeah, somber. Um, but there's a really great moment. There's there's one scene where there's three girls dancing outside a cafe and I'd probably say that is the most joyful scene I've ever heard, I've ever seen him do. And so it's very unique. I think it wanted to be his kind of, this is what I have done all the years. This encompasses everything I've done. That is me. And I think that's, as, in, as a director that's had such a vast body of work and kind of had a prodigy, he was kind of a bit prodigal when he was younger with his first film, had great success. The second one he made sure was a bit of a flop to evade that and now kind of creates the work he wants to. So it's he's kind of regarded now as kind of one of the most famous directors in the country so yeah what do you guys think of it well so i don't have as much experience with roy anderson as i would like um because based on the work i have seen i really i really connect with it somehow um and it, it's just that weird sort of kind of bleak humor it has um i, I really kind of like click with so the, the, the films i've seen so the first film of his i saw was you the living um which was actually one of the first films I was ever assigned to review. I did it for the old Cambridge Film Festival daily. That's where it was screening, um, and that was quite—it's quite the introduction. Um, after seeing that, I went back to look at um, songs from the second floor, and it was those two films, along with a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence, which we'll just call pigeon from now on for the sake of brevity. Um, which kind of formed a bit of a thematic trilogy. I haven't seen the last one yet, and I'd, I'd hope to watch it before we um, did the review on the show, but unfortunately I've just not had time. Um, it it felt familiar, but to an extent a little bit more sombre, I think, is it, as, as you said, El. Um, it, it's still kind of, like, you know, it's familiar in the sense that it's these little kind of like almost self-contained vignettes that kind of like look at, you know, that the way that you can kind of like just blend from happiness to sadness very easily like the tone of like even the individual vignettes kind of like turns on a dime and part of the pleasure of watching it is kind of like thinking well, hold on how did that happen you know it's um so in that sense it's kind of it's very hard to get a hold of but it's very easy to let wash over you i think and it, i i almost end up kind of consuming them more as mood pieces um I really liked about Endlessness. Uh, I got a lot out of it. I think um, I think it's not necessarily going to win anybody over who I don't think has, doesn't gel with Roy Anderson's other work. I mean, it is slightly different, but it's still very much in keeping with that. Steph, what did you what did you make of it? How did you find the film? 
you know, I, I have a lot of time for Roy Anderson. He's definitely a director I'm familiar with, familiar with, and I enjoy a lot of his work deeply. He's a very consistent director. Well, he has been for the last couple of decades, and he has a refined style that very much suits the stories that he tells. He's also, you know, what I think we'd all call quite a philosophical author. I suppose you could make the argument that every film is very philosophical at its root, but he definitely engages in a very analytical discourse of existentialist discussions. And he looks at human nature in a very observant and open way. Uh, and about endlessness, you can see he has kind of layered the techniques and narrative style that are very prominent in his living trilogy, which we've kind of already talked about a little bit. And unlike directors have also embraced like Anderson, the anthology narrative, um, Jim Jarmusch and, um, Ulrich Seidel kind of come to mind instantly. Um, Anderson sort of sets himself apart with these fondness of these wide shots that kind of capture the streets, cafes and bars around the characters that we are fixated on. And he uses a lot of square Im imagery and symmetry in his films, giving this kind of boxy effect, almost as if we were looking at people in kind of cabinets and museums or portraits in, in a gallery. And I think he alludes to this directly um, in Pigeon, um, what I like most about this film, and, and it isn't an easy film to try and describe, it's almost like a visual poem, much different from his other work that is very much centered in reality. It's very omniscient, much more emotive in the way that it is written. And in terms of imagery, it's very nice to look at, if not often melancholic at the same time. It's very impressive how he's managed to make this anthology as connected as his other films, even though it's quite fantastical in, in comparison. I love how he uses sound. He doesn't do abrupt cuts. He lets the sound sort of slowly fizzle out onto the next scene in the next story. And it does make you much more drawn into it than you would be if it was constantly stopping and starting. The one thing I would say I found a bit jarring was the tone of the film at times, especially when you compare it to his other works. You know, I think one of the things I love the most about Anderson's filmmaking is how he can kind of make the mundane, mundane aspects of life interesting and how he can make these nihilistic people and their nihilistic realities very, very humorous. He didn't seem to poke as much fun at the routine and repetition that we seem to accept on command. And I think the, light, the lack of light comedy made it quite flat when it could have been slightly more engaging. But overall, I, I think it was a good film. I, I did like it, but I, I liked his living trilogy a bit better, I think, by the tone and the kind of slapstick that he kind of puts into it. So that's where I kind of stand with this, the latest um, about the endlessness. That's where I would kind of sum it up. It's interesting that um, both of you... Because I think you said this as well, El, that the, the the tone felt slightly different, and I I would say it feels a little bit more somber, as El said. But I think, but to me, I th I was still getting quite a lot of the the dark humor out of it, in particular, like the guy that we keep returning to, the guy we keep returning to a few times. I think who's describing like a guy he saw on the street who didn't recognize him, like that 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 had me really engaged. I think. I think the difference for me compared with the other two films I've seen, and maybe this is where it comes from, is I found that the tone in the individual vignettes, I think, changes quite frequently. And even like some of the bleed over lights. So for instance, there's a really quite comic scene of um, a priest going to a doctor's office. 
and basically, and 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 this is a recurring thing. I think we come back to the doctor's office a couple of times, and we come back to the priest in his own his own environment in the church. I think a, a couple of times, and basically he's lost his faith, and it's it's this weird contrast between in the doctor's office it's played very comedically, also you know maybe tragicomically, like there is an element of tragedy to it, but then when you come to um, the priest dealing with it on his own, it really is quite tragic. It's really pretty bleak um there's also a little bit in terms of how culpable people are for evil i suppose is maybe the way to put it like because there's a couple of scenes that stand out to me the first one is when uh, a man slaps a woman at a fish counter in a supermarket and basically the way that everybody's kind of like stands around in shock looking at it and it feels like quite pointed that I don't want to give it away because I think it's like basically the last scene of the film. But in terms of this idea of linking, linking very small scale banal injustices and how people can feel frustrated and unfulfilled, and then he come the end of the film, he links this to like very historical um, stuff around the, like basically the rise of fascism. I think actually, really, just in the in those final in those final scenes, and it's actually it's a very bleak like it's done very subtly. I think, but it's a very bleak connection to make, and I don't recall that that connection being made quite as explicit in the other films. There is a little bit of this stuff about how all these things link together, but here it feels like a very direct link. It's a much more overt nod to it than his other things. So, I, I it's interesting in the sense that I. I found the tone similar, but I found it was blended even within these individual bits rather than across all of them. Like, the previous ones I've seen, I felt like there were more inherently tragic ones, there were more inherently sad ones, happy ones, uh, absurdist ones, whereas I sometimes feel with this one, it was kind of like it was running the full circle of them almost in some of these scenes um, on their own. With that does that El? Does that yeah. sound reasonable to you, or, I, or or how would you look at it? No, that I completely agree. I do find that the other films, yeah, they're much more noticeable in terms of like the mood piece, as Stephanie nicely put it, of kind of of each part of it. This one is much more kind of almost like a blended watercolor of everything. Like similarly with this other work, you're introduced to usually a couple of pivotal characters and revisit them in certain situations, even though you're not you're not really expected to understand a set narrative. It's kind of accepting each kind of little kind of chord of a symphony at a time. And it does feel more meshed together. But I think that is because I I feel he's a lot, as a filmmaker, he's a lot more vulnerable in this. I think he's much more happy to be open. As you said, it feels like he's picking less fun at certain bits or sadness at less bits. This is very much kind of, opening up his own kind of parts of regret looking back at life like there's a there's quite a big thing in um as a quite a few other scandy countries as well as this attitude of so there's a feeling called huga out there which is much more about that kind of feeling of warmth and empathy and being together with friends and kind of a very much a good feeling and a lot of artists out there the way they reach that contentedness is by exploring the reasons for unhappiness and i think he does that a lot is he identifies the things we don't want to admit to ourselves a lot of the time and especially as like i say this as well as a brit one of the biggest scenes that kind of surprised me and it doesn't feel like too much of a giveaway is when he uh, uh one of the gentlemen i think the one in doctor's office he just starts openly crying on a bus 
he sits there and just sobs as everyone kind of sits quite solemnly and it's very much that attitude of we aren't we don't give ourselves the space to be vulnerable because we all believe it's a socially not allowed thing whereas actually it feels much more attainable in this I think it's kind there's a lot of kindness in this world is because we relate to the mundane kind of situations in that and I think that's why if you like Anderson's work you will understand this film more and its tone yeah no I think that's fair to I think that's fair to say um I think you need a bit of a primer for this one um as I say, just because I I think you've hit upon it there in terms of just the how maybe he as a filmmaker has approached it, Steph. I think I think you're probably the most familiar with his work out of us. Would is that how you would regard it? Would you think it would be worth like looking at a couple of his other films before jumping into this one, or do you think this could actually be a good tone setter? I think um, this film in particular kind of does pay tribute to. Um, his living trilogy before his film, his early films are much more, I would say, neorealist. I think almost, I think the gap between his filmmaking, he almost became a different director overnight in a way. Um, but I, I think I do like the thing that I admire about um, um, Roy Anderson's work, and um, particularly, you know, about Endlessness and, and, and his trilogies and things like that is when you have kind of these um, very existentialist movies, we, a lot of directors kind of take this to kind of examine a couple characters or one character and how kind of isolated they are in the universe and how this sense of otherness and how they don't connect, they don't feel connected to it. I think he d he does well to kind of show the like the vulnerability of everyone around us, kind of like we're all in this kind of link together, that we're all um, in the struggle of, of being kind of lost in a way. And, and I think that... I think that it kind of connects with you or you do sort of, especially with the like historical references and the discussions of religion. And, and it's something that he, there's always a story in his film that you kind of see yourself in or you can connect with. And there, and the ones that you don't, you, it makes them very easy for you to understand. I would, I would put it. But yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I think, um, so I I think we're pretty unanimous in the sense that I, I think we would definitely recommend this. Um, I think it's definitely a film worth worth seeing. I think it's worth checking out Roy Anderson's work more broadly. Um, I'm certainly going to try and actually finally get around to watching Pigeon, for instance. Um, but I think yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. It's out already. Uh, it came out on November sixth. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if any cinemas <laughs> open up again anywhere, then it might well uh, pop back up. But I would imagine it's probably available through Curzon on Demand because Curzon the UK distributor. So I would imagine if you haven't got a cinema open near you that is showing it, then you should be able to check out on there. So go and have a look there, and let us know what you think. So the next film we're going to review is Another Round, which is Thomas Vinterberg's latest film. Um, it also sees him linking back up with Mads Mikkelsen, uh, who he's previously worked with for his breakout feature Festin, uh, and also again for The Hunt, which I think came out in 2012, and I was a big fan of. Um, I thought that was one of the best films I saw that year, and to be clear, it is 
called The Hunt and it came out in 2012. It's not that ridiculous one that got banned recently and now isn't banned and I don't know what the hell the deal is with that. But no, it's a Danish film from 2012 with these two behind it. And if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's really very good. Um, so Mads Mikkelsen has, of course, done a million one things uh, before then and since then. He's an extremely well-known actor now, but this season appeared them link back up um, to see Mads Mikkelsen playing a teacher in Denmark, and basically together with a bunch of his colleagues, I think there's three of them, they resolve to basically keep themselves permanently drunk. Um, they've all got various things that they are dealing with in their lives, I mean, professional unfulfillment, personal uh, lack of fulfillment, so on and so forth, and they basically come across this theory, I can't remember the name of the um, the name of the person who came up with it, but basically it's this theory that humans are born with too low a blood alcohol level, and there's kind of this optimum level that you can take yourself to, and that will basically bring about a better life for you. Um, you'll be, you'll have more energy, you'll be more creative, this, that, and the other. So they all set out to do this, and it comes with, you know, the obvious pitfalls that might come from trying to keep yourself at a certain level of, you know, alcohol blood level. And in particular, Mads Mikkelsen's character, Martin, he tries to push it a little bit further than the others, basically. Um, and it goes to some interesting places. This film, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go on about it now because we're gonna get into it to begin with. But basically, it, it that summary kind of reads like it should be a body comedy, um, and it's not. It, it doesn't mean it doesn't have comedic moments, but um, to read the summary is a different experience to actually watching the film steph how did you find that experience of watching the film i i really liked it i you know i'm not someone that's very familiar with vinterberg i the only thing that i've seen from him has been festin um but it definitely was a film that makes me want to check out a lot more of his work um it's a it's a really interesting movie i to me it's sort of one of those things where you there's two different ways that you you can look at it um, you can kind of take it as this kind of comedically um, dark version of kind of high school never ends. You have these students who drink to lower their inhibitions and deal with their anxieties about grading and their social life. And you have these teachers that um, drink to lower their inhibitions and, and be more comfortable in their profession. So it's this sort of thing that, you know, these things stay with you and these anxieties don't you know they're not they're not defined by your age or your situation and it kind of shows like what ways that you can choose to deal with them um and there's another way that you i think that you can look at this film and you you can see it as kind of like a a tale of the beginning of alcoholism about um the journey of kind of making these excuses to drink and to keep drinking and kind of where that leads you and how how you either become changed or unchanged by them whether you kind of are set to repeat um to repeat to get another round as such to, to repeat these tales to kind of relive these hangovers or you know or you can choose to kind of distance yourself away when it becomes something that takes control of you so i think it's actually a really good film exploring these issues and these topics and it's done quite tastefully I like you were saying Jim it, it was I think it was one of those films that could quite easily have been very kind of comedic and up like daft kind of slapstick comedies and I 
I don't think it would have would have worked quite the same. I'm I'm glad it was taking on a on a different route because um the way that it kind of sets itself up is not how it develops in many ways. So it is quite a journey. It is watching this film. Um it is one that you know you I think I would say to people to look out for because it's it's definitely one that you, you won't forget in a hurry, I wouldn't say. Yeah, it, it it's an interesting film as well. And and, and like one of my favorite things to do with films that aren't in the English language is to look at what the original title is and obviously like another round it, it sounds fairly generic like the original title is Druk I think right which in a, a literal sense I think is just a Danish word for drunk but there, there are other ways you can translate it right you can translate it as like pressure drown and like I don't speak Danish right so I mean there's probably a, you know a Danish person's going to come and tell me to like shut up Jimmy idiot it just means drunk but to me, it slightly conveys better and actually helps with the English title what the film is almost trying to get at. Is because it's exactly what Steph said. It's it, the way that the the mood of the film turns is you can then start to look at it as the beginning of alcoholism. And in the case of one character in particular, that that, that really is basically what happens. Um, so you know, it starts off with the positive aspects of being able to loosen up and be a bit more relatable, and you know, just making it easier for you to engage with people but it does show the 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 consequences of pushing that too far and i think what's quite impressive about vinterberg's work here because also mads mickelson is absolutely fantastic in this i've been a big fan of his for a very long time um i think probably probably going back to that that um the hunt is probably where i've like maybe fully fully cemented it and I find the tone here is maybe a little bit less sure-footed than that, if I'm being honest. But what's impressive about Vinterberg's work here is he conveys that change in tone visually. In particular, there's one like very destructive binge-drinking session they have. And the change in tone comes about completely through the way he, he shoots it. Um, down to, you know, visually, but also the way the sound is done uh, at that particular point. You'll know it when you come to it if you, if you watch the film. So... The performance is great, but I think Vinterberg is doing a lot of really good work to balance that tone, and it is a it is a difficult balance to achieve. Um, occasionally, I think it it, it swerves quite hard. Um, as I say, I don't think it's quite as sure-footed as I found the Hunt to be, which was balancing a different different tones in a different way. But it is very impressive how he goes about that. How did you how did you find it, Ellen? Those kind of like contrasting elements. I really liked it because. I felt that it was a bit like that kind of quite cheeky humour because you were kind of quite intrigued to see what kind of debauchery they were going to get up to. And then after these moments of kind of like, yeah, they're out drinking in a bar or they're embarking on this quite bizarre experiment of let's get four teachers at 0.8% blood alcohol level for like a all day. And then immediately you are kind of dosed in a cold shower like it doesn't it doesn't not pull any punches like it's quite happy to kind of almost like yes yeah, sober you up a little bit and what I quite like about it is it's it's a premise of kind of four middle-aged guys having a bit of a life crisis but it doesn't excuse them for having a life crisis which I think a lot of films try to do they're like oh they're just doing what happens at this age where instead it actually exposes the fallibility yeah. of them and isn't afraid to look at the consequences of their actions. And there's a great kind of montage as well of kind of 
just drinking culture a bit around the world and I think it really does speak to that's why even as a kind of a Danish film it's so relatable because if you're a drinker if you're not you notice the different kind of dynamics with it and the other characters that come in and you don't think that kind of like the exasperated wife is being exasperated you can just see she's exhausted Mm -hmm. by a very kind of drunken husband or the perception of kids seeing it and also I think it's really interesting by having as like the students as Steph mentioned brought in as well like the drinking of anxieties away from exams it shows you where these habits start where they fall away they where they're picked back up again and as you said it's that balance of tone is really difficult because you can't have it fun all the time and you can't have it depressing all the time you need to kind of have that nuance within the style and I think Vinterberg's done that very well but it is I do feel a little bit while all the performances are very good there's something about Mad Mickelson's performance that drives the story all the way through you find your focus falls back to him the entire time his character story is still the most interesting and that's yeah that I think that's testament though is the relationship between Vinterberg and Mickelson is how they've made that work so well yeah I think with a somebody different in the lead role I don't I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it wouldn't work, right? Because I say I think there's a lot of stuff that Vinterberg is doing behind the camera and just in the way he's approached the material that sells the tone and keeps it right. But I think the thing that makes it work as well as it does is Mads Mikkelsen's performance. There's something about there's just something about watching him where there's kind of like this inherent sobriety to him that that kind of sobriety and gravitas it just grounds the whole thing in something more meaningful right because it, because as i say even with some of the stuff in this film like you know a binge drinking session and when they're celebrating some students later and you know one scene where he swigs some vodka in the school toilet basically like it would be very easy for this to either be completely bleak is another route this could have gone or you know some sort of comedy whereas i think something you've hit upon there that's a key thing it was actually their actions are not excused they're, they're really not i mean What's interesting about it is, I think the tone it takes is you, you really get across that they're excusing themselves for so long. And then basically, there are various things with um, basically one of his call, I think it's uh, Nikolai, is the one who's got the wife and the, like the young children, where it just brings it crashing back to earth, you know. And the kind of like some of these like almost tragic scenes of the consequences of it, like, yes, they've had their, their moment in the alcohol soaked sun, if you like. But then it really brings it back to earth, and it really shows that. It really shows that contrasting way of looking at what they're doing, and it's it kind of gets across actually what you're almost doing, looking at drinking as somebody who drinks alcohol yourself. And I, I don't, you know, I mean, like, like Scotland in particular is a very alcohol-heavy country, right? And I think a lot of people including myself from time to time, of course, have drunk very heavily into two extremes. But there's something there's something you notice, right? When it, t- when it takes a darker turn, I think you notice. And something this film does extremely well is capture that. It just it captures that, just that slight shift where it's gone from, like, people reveling into something a little bit more problematic. And it gets that across along with what the motivations are for that. I, th- I find it's a very... I d- it's not a judgmental film, is the other thing. Like, you see why these things have happened. Now, it doesn't, it's not excusing actions, but it is 
quite good, I find, at getting to why people are doing this. Like, why have they embarked upon this? Why is it they feel the need to do it? And obviously, the main lightning rod for that is Mads Mikkelsen. And I think he he really, really takes this film to another level. I think it was a very fine balance. And I think for some people, that balance probably won't be quite right, to be honest. I think some people will find this a, a tonally odd film. But for me, it worked extremely well, I would say. Um, what do we think of the the ending? Without getting into specific details. Oh, um, I think to, you know, to echo what you now said kind of relates to the ending quite a lot because you you kind of see where you, it kind of builds on to how we how Winterberg manages to kind of humanize the problem of addiction without it being judgmental as you said mm. Jim but also holds um the accountability of what will happen if you push yourself to these extremes and I think that the ending works well because you see kind of it's something that almost appears to be really cathartic and something and then it then it shifts again to something something else so it's that kind of roller coaster that we've been on the whole film with Winterberg where we don't we kind of but I I think it kind of adds a, a good reality to the subject that they're talking about people don't change and switch overnight it's, it's a, a very kind of bleak but also um, human journey that they go on so without kind of summing up the ending it is definitely you know not as it appears to go down the route it appears to go down but the route that we perhaps should have seen coming would be the way that I would kind of word it. I was I was really shocked by the ending in that I was like completely captivated by it um and I think people understand once they see it it's just you've you've no idea kind of you know what's going on and you kind of you're fixated on the whole scene and it's really quite hypnotic you're completely caught up in the moment of it that in a way I was kind of so absorbed by it not that I forgot what had just happened in the film but I was like oh this is this is it's one of those endings that I'm going to remember for a long time and I do keep thinking about and I think that kind of speaks for what it is in the film is there's something about watching the film as like, yeah, as someone who like will drink or go to the pub or whatever, you see the points of where the limit goes. And part of you is just like, oh, you should really stop there. Or, oh, uh, I think you should dial it back. Kind of in your head, because you mentally know of the hangover that they're going to have in the film. And I think that's what humanizes it to the audience so much. And very similar with the ending is kind of like, oh, is it, what's, what's going to happen? And... I think it's kind of left to your own personal judgment and you you're quite contemplative afterwards it's a, it's a there's a lot of things going on in the film there's a lot of emotions bundled around and you kind of breathe at the end but you're also sat thinking for quite a while about the decisions made in the film about your own decisions about how we perceive it as a culture and as Steph very points out you don't just change habits overnight but you acknowledge them yeah it's um, it's a, it's really an excellent film. I think um, in terms of when it's coming out, I'm not actually a hundred percent sure. Um, at the time we chose to review this, it was coming out on the twentieth. It then got delayed to the twenty seventh. Um, and now, according to the distributor who gave us access to it, they don't have a precise date. I think it's reasonable to assume they'll maybe try and release it once the lockdown, uh, hopefully lifts in England. 
Um, but keep an eye out for it. I think it will be a film that will be very interesting to take in when that comes around. So if we have, by the time we actually broadcast this, if we have a release date, then we'll we'll stick it in the description of the podcast. But if not, it is still expected to be released this year. But obviously, as with so many things, <laughs> it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we've spoken about two films where the, the mood kind of changes on a dime and it's done very skillfully. Uh, Roy Anderson's one and also this. Um, I think the biggest compliment I can probably pay it to finish off is part of what I use to judge a film long after I've seen it is if it stays with me, if I continue to think about it. And I can honestly say both of the films that we've spoken about so far, that that has been the case. Um, so yeah. So yeah, keep an eye out for it. It'll be out soon. We don't know precisely when. Uh, but that's another round directed by Thomas Vinterberg. Okay, so the final film that we're going to look at is Falling, which is the directorial debut of Viggo Mortensen, uh, who's also in front of the camera. He's also starring in it, along with... Uh, Lance Henriksen. Uh, it, scre- it was screening as part of Amplify Film Festival. I think by the time we go out, it won't be screening there anymore, but there are a lot of really good things screening at Amplify, uh, and a lot of them are st- streaming through until the 22nd, uh, a good few days after we first broadcast this. Uh, one personal recommendation of mine would be You Will Die at 20, uh, which is a Really great film, which I saw back in Glasgow. But yeah, if you go to amplifyfilm.org.uk, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. And as Elle mentioned at the top of the show, collaboration of four film festivals that would usually be happening around this time of year. So that's how we all saw this film. Loads of other good stuff, so go check it out. But um, to start off with, Steph, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Falling? Um, So Falling is pretty much about a man played by Bogle Mortensen, that is attempting to reconnect with his conservative, often quite bigoted father, who is slowly losing parts of his memory as he tries to, as he kind of tries to go on this journey to gain his father's respect and acceptance as a gay man in a loving marriage. Um, The story kind of allows us to drift in and out the past and the present, which often collide and become tangled together. So it's very much at its core a portal for the audience to see the way his father sees and remembers parts of his life and how he chooses to connect with them and piece them together. I think would be the, the best way to kind of summarize this film. It's, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like an anti-coming of age film is the way that I would describe it. You, you have kind of this man that's stuck and his his roots and his beliefs and with his memory sort of even decaying more and more as it goes on it becomes much more difficult to try and integrate him into modernity and to try and to get him to see um how, how the world is changing and how that's that's a good thing and how that's okay so yeah as as for a for a directorial debut really impressive i, I quite liked it I, I liked the way it was shot and i don't know what um you guys thought of it uh, what did you make of it? Because also, like you know, Viggo Mortensen is a very familiar figure, um, you know, and he's had a very interesting career. But in terms of the films he's chosen to pursue as an actor, um, you know, he's worked with a lot of um, in a lot of languages with a lot of different styles of director. You know, he's done blockbusters, he's done smaller independent stuff. What 
but how did you find this one? Because obviously he's responsible for this one. So do you feel it was a good reflection of him? How did you how did you find it reflected his career, maybe if at all? Where does that fall in that spectrum of stuff that he's done? I think what's so interesting about falling is that it's very kind of much uh, kind of personal anecdotes and memoirs and I think as debut films that is always potentially risky territory because as you said he's had such a lengthy career and collaborations and he's so well known and this is a very different style of film I think to kind of have as your directorial thing especially when you are also playing kind of a co-lead you are directing yourself and I think that's what that's what makes it I think a bit of an odd watch for fat for people who like know him and other things and especially as I think like it's gonna happen that like Lord of the Rings fans are definitely gonna prick their ears up at him having just done his own film and it's it's bizarre I mean I personally quite liked it in terms of the fact is I think if you've ever cared for a per- for a family member with dementia it's done well and I think that his story very much comes across in that because it's it's a precarious kind of weaving between the past and present kind of capturing moments where it's calm and like tedious issues but also that way of trying to I think it's a little bit tricky when you're trying to show how someone with dementia is viewing a situation when you see that Willis's memory starts to go a bit in moments and it captures that point of change when someone with dementia goes from their past to their present but trying to make it that kind of imagery where kind of jumping back into the past to reflect on that I think it can be a little bit tedious at times I think it's also because it's so self-anecdotal it doesn't explain itself as much as it should it's not until a good hour into the film where um his sister says oh he's i think it's phrased as sunsetting which is a very american term above stages of dementia but you find that they continue to take him out to places where he causes a fuss or the kids are fully aware of what's going on and they try and protect them a bit even though they're understanding of it and it's it's very sore in that way like there's a lot of that kind of like outdated rural conservatism and like the very there's a lot of rampant homophobia from the father which I think a lot of people will struggle with because it might be shaped as putting up with it but I think what he really does like get right is when it is your father and when it is that relationship you a lot of people will kind of just suck it up and try and deal with it in the moment even though he doesn't seem to be very acknowledging of his father's memory going he almost treats it as if his father's fine and is misbehaving rather than actually having a mental kind of styled illness it's it's a bizarre I think it's a it's just a bit of an odd film to kind of to be now part of his legacy it's um it it is an odd film to watch and I think I I come down I come down broadly liking it, um, although it's one of these ones where liking it doesn't feel like the appropriate response. But like, I, I, I feel like I engaged with it in the way in the way it was looking for me to do so. And I think the two central performances you got um, Viggo Mortensen's John and then Lance Henriksen as Willis's father. What I will say is. I think rampant homophobia coming from the Willis character is an understatement of anything. I mean, like some of the, like some of the stuff that um some of the stuff that he comes out with, like Jesus. Um 
So what I will say is he's a difficult character to spend two hours with. Um, it is a little bit... It, it does feel a bit like an onslaught at times. What I think it captures very well, though, is what you said there, L, is like when it's that relationship with your father, it's kind of like, it's almost like it's trying to get across quite how much... It, if it's a relationship that you where it's someone against all maybe objective instincts you love and you have a connection with, like how much you will actually put up with. Now, the, the, the only question for me is just whether like maybe the script pushes that a bit far in terms of how much you would put up with because like some of the stuff is like, you know... I mean... I mean, it's reprehensible. I just don't. I, I, I find it, having not been in that situation myself, I find it hard to believe how anybody could. What I will say is that the construction of it. I'm going to disagree in the sense that the construction of it being tedious. I'm not sure it's in the most subtle. Is the one thing I'll say. Um, for me, I think it worked quite well, and I think without those elements, where where basically what happens is you get flashbacks and you get little. The only thing I would say is maybe it's a little bit inconsistent. Sometimes you get longer flashbacks. Sometimes you get basically kind of like this just snippet of Willis's memory. Um, There's connecting why he's reacting the way he is uh, to something in the present based upon, you know, some random memory which is, you know, fired into his consciousness. I think it gets that across quite well. And that, that for me worked really quite impressively. I think what it didn't quite do is get across what is his memory failing and what is just him being a bigot right because it's it's quite clear that it's quite clear that he is right the the um the flashbacks make it very clear that there is obviously this element to his character where there is this toxic masculinity and this bigotry and kind of like this male arrogance and ego where he just feels he's never got his proper lot in life he's never been properly appreciated everybody around him is a you know whatever epithet he wants to throw out at any particular point he's a difficult character to spend two hours with so quite what the reasoning was for that and what Viggo Mortensen is trying to achieve with that because he also wrote this I think or at least he co-wrote it I'm not quite sure why it's quite as um dense in terms of like the objectionable aspects of the Willis character. I'm not sure what the reasoning is for that. In terms of the way the film was constructed to go through John's reaction to that and Eric, his husband, and how they deal with that, I think it deals with that bit very well. I'm not sure what he was trying to achieve with Willis being quite as objectionable as he is. I think I feel I just feel like it could have been tiled back, like you know, maybe just ten percent, and he'd still be difficult to deal with. But it wouldn't be quite as difficult to deal with him for two hours. I don't know. I mean, what did you make? What did you make of it, Steph? That would really be. I'm coming out sounding more critical of this than I actually am. Like I think it's, I think it's a pretty well done film. It's just I found it, I found it difficult to watch, and not in a way that I think was necessarily intended. But I don't know if that maybe that's just me. What did you, how did you find it? Um, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I, what I really enjoyed about and thought was carefully written and insightful about this debut was the kind of bleak reality that was embedded throughout the script. And I suppose that seems strange to say, but with, with these stories, I think it's important to acknowledge that the lies and the truths and that is examining that 
that he's examining and illuminating in many ways. We have more kind of LGBTQ movies this de decade or so than we've ever really had before in cinema. And it's important when you're trying to reflect the stories and struggles that the people in the community have to face, that it's not all sunshine and roses. Particularly in Western cinema, we have this problem where we try and somehow make the most painful situations as idyllic as possible. And I suppose it is what sells, but it's also a misleading picture to paint. So I think for a debut feature, you have to admire the care and attention that Mortensen's kind of put into the screenplay, because it does ring true in many ways. The way it was directed also worked very well with the themes it was written through and it managed to create a very kind of phlegmatic and um, phlegmatic to like tone that helped you engage in the journey of these characters. The flashback sequences worked very well and I liked the way the narration was kind of disjointed and you were transported and shared the insights and triggers that sort of drove Willis back to unlocking these memories and experiences. And it was often like you were trying to put together the pieces of the jigsaw with him. You become very kind of quickly immersed in the lives of these characters. And it is kind of quite a touching movie in a very strange way because you you kind of see from the characters outside of Willis that they're, you know, despite the way that he is, and um, both with his illness and, and his views, they, they, do, they do kind of hold him quite dearly. They want to kind of keep him close. They, um, for all his for all his faults, which are, you know, a lot. And he has difficult, he would be difficult to deal with in any situation, whether or not you were related to him. Um, so I think that that's the kind of touching side of it, how they, how they do care for this man that really doesn't have the time of day for quite a lot of these things. And it's difficult to kind of work out what is kind of connected to that dementia and what is kind of always been in, in that kind of personality. Um, but I, I think the, the one thing that maybe makes it a little bit unbalanced for me in the way that it's told is, and I think this kind of centers on um, the character of Willis and like you were saying, Jim, um, he is difficult to like, and he is quite, he is quite difficult to watch in this film. You, you feel like kind of, you kind of feel the wind kind of being knocked out of you when you're trying to watch this film because of the way that his character is written. But I think that, it's difficult to kind of interpret what and what way this character is kind of meant to meant to manifest because you, I feel kind of that his character, even though we kind of go back in the past um, to when he was younger and his dad and his mum were together, and um, but I feel like we don't. I feel like his and um, the character of Willis as a young man isn't fully developed enough to understand why he is the way he is with this illness and you know so I think that there are some bits of this story that we are missing and I think that is what can make it a little bit a, a little bit more difficult to engage with at certain points but overall I I, I, I would recommend that it was a, a good movie and it, for a debut it was very impressive in the way that it was shot and the way that it was written I would say. Yeah, no, I think it, it, it's it, it's another one of these films. I mean, a little bit like the ones we talk, we've already spoke about, where it balances tone quite well. Um, and you know, it's not just putting up with this character for two hours. I mean, like, need, needless to say, as you might expect in this thing, there is a kind of a cathartic outburst moment where you kind of get across quite how much the John character has put up with and how difficult it is to deal with knowing 
what part of it is your bigoted father and what part of it is kind of is the dementia and you know like where the overlap in that venn diagram is as well um and quite how difficult that can be to deal with um l would you also like fall on the side of recommending this overall because i mean i think i think it's fair to say we've kind of got mixed feelings as a group about it but um i think i would recommend it because i think that there's been quite a few dementia and Alzheimer related films have come out of this year, like just uh, Relic and Supernova to just name two. And I think uh, Dick Johnson is dead yeah, mm-hmm. as well. And, but I think that this film actually captures the kind of like, it's like kind of like hostile, brutal nature of it. I mm-hmm. think you, you can feel the anger in it and you can feel that frustration. I think that's where your empathy lies with kind of being there with those characters for so long. Um, I think I would recommend it. I think it's going to, people are either going to like it or they're going to dislike it, but they'll dislike it for understandable reasons. But I think it's definitely worth a watch. And I think it's going to drive some really interesting conversations about how we depict kind of like illness on screen. Yeah, it's funny you say the um, the idea of the, like films that have come out dealing with dementia and this getting across kind of like the, the aggressive part of it because it actually in some ways it, it reminds me a little bit of in terms of the way the character acts and who is cast in the role it reminds you a little bit of a film called Ashes that came out a number of years ago um, directed by Matt Whitecross and basically he in that film uh, Ray Winston plays his father who is... Um, suffering from i think it's alzheimer's in the film and it also gets across this aspect which doesn't often come across in depictions of it where like you know somebody can basically be very aggressive and hostile and difficult to deal with um so interestingly that like it's probably worth having a look at, at that film i don't think it's as good a film as this one um but it's just interesting to have that role and you kind of got the same thing with lance henriksen who of course like i think most people will probably know from the alien franchise amongst various other things so it, it it's a it's an odd role to see him in but in a way that casting works really extremely well um so yeah i think it is worth checking out i don't think it's going to work for everyone for various different reasons whether it is um just the way those kind of flashbacks and links to the past and the way memory is shown uh the way that works or whether it's just the fact that the the willis character is 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 very difficult to deal with for a couple hours i don't think it's going to work for everyone but i think it's definitely worth checking out and giving a chance um and as El said, I think it's coming out on December 4th. Uh, I would expect, I, I would imagine the timing of that is also for exiting lockdown, hopefully, but I think it'll be one of these films that will probably come out on VOD as well. Um, so I think it's Modern Films. It's the distributor for it in the UK, and they're usually releasing stuff day and date, I think, at this point in time. But we'll see. We'll put it in the link in the description and check out when you get there. And as I say, we reviewed it as part of Amplify Festival, so do check them out as well. Uh, there's a lot of good films going there. I mentioned You Will Die at 20. Definitely worth checking out, and there's also quite a lot of short film programs available through that, so go and check them out. So, first of all, thank you for the film um i watched it a few days ago i thought it was excellent um so thank you to you for making it really um 
the first thing I want to ask you about was how you approach the film visually because there's kind of three to me anyway there's three kind of different strands that are represented you've kind of got these concert flashbacks where Zed is performing in front of an audience there's reality obviously and then there's also these kind of magical realist elements in particular that kind of personification of Toba Tech Singh they're all getting across different things to me but I was wondering how did you how did you approach how you wanted to shoot those different elements in terms of how you what you wanted to communicate about Zed's emotions and how he was dealing with his identity? Was there a different way you approached each of those or is there an overarching thing that you wanted to include there? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, and, and I think for us, like, really it comes down to the great work of our editor, um, Adam Diskowski. Really, I think... Um, you know, like the funny thing is that the script that we wrote is really what we ended up bringing to life um, on screen. But I think there are elements of how he wove in some of those gems of things that just happened. Like, you know, with the concert that we filmed, that we put on and, you know, Riz's, you know, he just, he, he, he blasted into a few new songs that were so exciting that we were like, we have mm -hmm. to bring this in to the film. And I think the film also builds to a final concert, you know, um, that's the way we look at it as at least. So, you know, we wanted we wanted it to be that thing that if you saw it as like a triptych of these hallucinations and also a concert, then of course, then you have the first concert thing, then you have the where are you from rap and then the final concert performance that happens. Yeah, I, I really appreciate those. I found that really quite, like, especially even that, like the, the lyrics that um, was deliver, delivering, like really just gelled wonderfully with the, the, the themes of the film to me. One thing I was wondering is that there are some very I, I, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna lie I've come away from this film learning things right and, oh great of and, course and, all yeah no no and now. and that's why I kind of want to bring to you how do you envisage folk taking to the cultural references that they might not be aware of going into the film right because obviously the concept of um, Toba Texing and you know the the short story with the same name and the short film read and kind of how that relates to the the 1947 partition and everything like that <laughs> like th this is all stuff that I'm aware of but in terms of how different people relate to it culturally I, I wasn't and I've come out of it having learned something is that for people who were unfamiliar with it is that what you were hoping people would do with it and obviously there you know there's some folk who are going to take to it like you know ducks to water effectively it's going to be references that they understand is that is that something you were looking to do like how were you envisaging people engaging with it if indeed that was part of what you were envisaging yeah um honestly it's it's a good question like it's it's a challenge isn't it that when you make something that's so specific like is it important for everyone to know the references? I don't think so. I think, I hope that the real coup in all this is that you're able to connect to the final moments of the film. And even if you don't know the language and you don't know what's being said, that you can still connect to something that the film has given you enough of the language needed or enough of the references needed to help make sense of the final moment that you are you still feel the the feeling of you know exuberance or whatever it is in the end. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't know if we were successful or not, but I think that's part of the challenge of, of creating this kind of work, you know, it's like, how do we, and also I think if you can arc it in a real universal relationship that we care about, whether it's a father and son thing, um, you know, the idea of running away from your own heritage, right, which I think all of us are, are whether it's a heritage of colonialism that I, I find a lot of my English friends trying to, you know, deny or divorce themselves to, you know, or even us where we have this weird heritage that, that we're all trying to 
you know, I think I think everyone's heritage is complicated and complex and it's beautiful in its complexity. And I think if we just start to approach it and to really confront it, there could be something really exciting in it, in all the particulars of it, you know? And I think one place where that struck me, and I'm just wanting to say that if that's maybe part of the reason this came in, is the scene where Zed is kind of castigated by a fan for handing him something with his left hand. And I was, and I was just, I find it interesting because that combined with kind of the discussion about you know shortening his name, um, you know, with his friends and family, it was this idea that everybody has their own idea of how you adhere to your roots or a cultural yeah. identity or heritage. Yeah. And yeah. is there a right way to do it? And like, how do you, how do you deal with that when you've got people from the same oh, community man, I disagreeing I love on how to yeah. actually express that identity and culture? Yeah, no, I think that's great, man. Like, I feel like that's what it is. We're all trying to figure out ways to navigate the space that we're living in. And there's no right or wrong way. I just think it's fascinating that we're, you know, it's like, hey, I'll smoke a spliff, but hey, just, just, yo, know, dude, just like, it's really disrespectful that you do it with the left hand, like, man, like, but, but he also does it from a place of love, right? It's like, mm. it's, you know what I mean? Just like how it's like when he's correcting, it's like, they call you Zed, right? It's like, it's like this, this sense of like, hey, look, remember, like, I mean, it's, so it's not like a, it's not a ridiculing as it is a moment of, of a desire to, hey, like, like also embrace that, like, who you're becoming is maybe, I don't know, it's just, it's because we're all navigating these weird no man's land spaces that we're living in. So how did you how did you come to be involved in making the film with Riz Ahmed and like how did you find that you both had the because you it, it's co-written with him as well so I'm just wondering how yeah. you how you how you how you found out that you both wanted to express these sort of things in a film like how how did you come to how did you come to find each other and find that you had yeah. that kind of shared desire to put it on screen Yeah um I think We've been friends for a long time, man, and, and we've just been trying to figure out how to really build something that felt really true and honest to each other. And I think bringing our most honest self is sometimes the hardest thing because there's always a desire that we have of of, uh, of of having a bravado, particularly as men, you know. And I think us being able to let down those masks and just be as free as we can is really sometimes the hardest thing, you know. And um, yeah, so so I don't know. I feel like it, it's a constant dance. You know, it's a dance. All this is a dance, and it's jazz, and and we're all learning how to play an instrument as as we're on stage, and we're passing it on to the next person. We're passing it back to each other. So yeah, it's this weird like we're both playing instruments while we're dancing. <laughs> That's what it really is. And just to to finish off, and this is something that I've asked quite a lot of filmmakers I've, I've interviewed recently. How have you found the festival circuit recently? Because obviously, so you had the the showing in yeah. Berlin, and that would be, that's yeah. kind of like maybe the last one that, <laughs> that kind of like sneaked in under the wire. How have you found that experience of like switching to this kind of very strange online environment halfway through, and particularly also now going on to release the film in in Britain, yeah. at least in the middle of it? Yeah, man, it's wild. It's a really wild thing, and I think the one thing that I'm trying to do is not like it's like. It's like this is a time for us all to just really like realize that we're all figuring out how to make this work. Like journalists are trying to make sure that they have their jobs. We're trying to make sure that we're relevant. I think all of us are fighting for the same thing right now and it's tough out there. So I think it's important that we're all showing up, you know, for each other because, you know, it, this isn't, you know, showing up for the press isn't just for the film. Yeah, it is for that, but it's also for all of us, right? That like we all need this so we can keep these things legitimate like we can keep these experiences still happening and perhaps the future will be more hybrid than, than we expect it to be
Okay, so that's all of the reviews for this month, the feature films. Um, but before we sign off, we're going to do our usual thing where we try and recommend some short films for folk to watch. Uh, we're very fond of short films here at Cinetopia and at Take One. Uh, it's something we look at a lot. And indeed, the Edinburgh Short Film Festival is coming up very soon, the postponed Edinburgh Short Film Festival. We'll come to that in a minute. So I think this month, uh, Elle and myself have short films that we're recommending people check out that we've seen recently. So Elle, why don't you kick us off with what your short film recommendation is for this month? So mine is um, called Shuttlecock uh, by Tommy Gillard. It was awarded the uh, best short film at the London Film Festival and it is currently playing uh, in part of the short film strand at Amplify. So you can check that out at the moment. It's this quite silly on the nose kind of comedy about masculinity and machoism and kind of very homoerotic overtones of badminton players um carl's this very kind of macho man of the game who is faced with morgan silk a new player from the opponent's team who is kind of much more gray uh is much more graceful and poised and kind of gets a bit ridiculed for it but you find that his and femininity is kind of favoured and it does have a good discussion of gender ideals and um, is just a very sharp, funny short um, that I think people will quite enjoy and kind of gets rid of that stupid notion of masculinity that exists in the realm of men's sports. So you can check that out on Amplify uh, for the next couple of days, I believe, until the 18th. Yep, and it's, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. If you need any further convincing we've actually got a couple of articles over at take one l interviewed uh tommy gillard about the film uh, and also uh megan christopher who did some writing for us during london film festival she did a roundup of lgbtq plus shorts at london film festival which included shuttlecock so if you need any convincing go check that out and then uh, log on to amplify and check it out um so the the short film I'm going to go with is a sister, um, which was actually known, which is probably available in a few places, um, but I'm highlighting it because it will be screening as part of the Edinburgh Short Film Festival. I think it was actually nominated for Best Live Action Short at the Oscars um, earlier in the year. And basically, it takes place in two locations. One is kind of an emergency dispatch centre, uh, women answering the phone there, and in a car where basically a woman phones the emergency number and she's basically pretending to the man in the car who's obviously uh, distraught, aggressive and has her there against her will, um, where basically she's trying to pretend that the emergency services on the other end of the line are her sister, hence the title of sister, and she's basically trying to sort out childcare. In reality, she's trying to give subtle cues about where they are what the emergency services should be looking for so that they can find her. Um, and it's an extremely tense film. It's extremely well done from the performance standpoint, uh, both of the leads in it, and it's really worth checking out. And basically, I'm, I'm not going to go into too many details because I'm on the, the jury for Edinburgh Short Film Festival, but basically all the films that I saw... Uh, that are up for best film they are spread basically across the entire program uh, there's a, usually at least one of them in each of them and basically if you can get along and try and check out edinburgh short film fair so i've highlighted that one because i think that's one that stood out to me um and the rest of the program that's in also looks really great um 
but yeah, it's been a bit of a difficult time, I think, for Edinburgh Short Film Festival with all the postponements, but it really speaks to the quality of that programme. And I think it's worth pointing out as well that it's not an easy th- it's not an easy thing to do to select short films, but it's also not an easy thing to do to put them together in such kind of thoughtful in a thoughtful manner. It's a very thoughtfully programmed festival in terms of finding themes across the films. Um, so I'm wanting to highlight that just to go and check that out when you can. So that basically rounds us up for this month. Um, I think it generally done pretty well with the films there and we'll be back next month to look at some more films and hopefully speak to some members of the film community about how they're getting on and things that you should be keeping an eye out for. And I can't remember all the various things I've got to say at the end, so I'll record that separately. But, you know, I might find it. Oh, actually, what's it? Sent? I forget which one's Instagram, which one's Twitter. So I'll do that. I'll do that after and then plug it on to the end, I think. Um, so we'll pretend I'm going to do that later. We'll do a little bit of a, an outro. So, Elle, what are you going to be up to between now and the end of the year? When did, are you are you coursework from now until the end of the year? When does your term finish? So yeah, I wrap up my first year at film school on the 18th of December and then I have a couple of weeks off and then kick back up into the new year. So um, lots of reading theory books and catching up with um, some actually great kind of uh, webinar conferences on film distribution, acquisition and exhibitions. So uh, nice and packed in for the end of the year. Good stuff. And Steph, what are you up to? Um, I'm currently um, in the middle of kind of writing a few a few new pieces, but it's uh, as it is, it's one of those things where you kind of taken on multiple projects at once, and I'm not sure when the first one will be finished. So um, I'll update you all more when I'm more aware of what's going on with that. So, but um, yeah, just currently just trying to survive lockdown. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think we all are to an extent. Well, yeah, we'll be back next month with another set of reviews and so forth. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at Cinetopia on Twitter, at Cinetopia Hub on Instagram, cinetopiashow.com, or if you want to send us any thoughts about upcoming events, cinetopiashow at gmail.com. So thanks for joining us, Steph. Thanks for joining us, El, and we'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Jen. Thank you.